Welcome to the Business Intuition Podcast, the place where you can learn to trust your intuition to make business decisions without having to meditate for hours, wear crystals, or give up on coffee or wine. You don't have to leave your IQ at the door. Embrace intuitive intelligence to create a business that lights you up and finally experience the success that you deserve. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Intuitive Revolution in Business. Today we are reviewing a book called Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. And this book is about how to start new habits. We are the sum of our habits, or as some authors put it, habits are the invisible architecture of our daily lives. That was a quote directly from Gretchen's book, and I think it's an important one. And as entrepreneurs, we are the sum of our habits because we need to establish certain habits um, that will y yield success in our businesses, such as, for example, being visible, being consistent. Everybody talks about consistency and how important that is to build the know, like, and trust with our clients. So I felt this book was really important as part of the um, general education that I provide on this podcast about business, because the intuitive revolution um, of this podcast is linked directly to businesses. So we all have good and bad habits. And we can get caught up on the words good and bad. But I would probably say that the good habits support our goals and um, aspirations, whereas the bad habits sabotage um, what we want. Now, Gretchen starts by um, listing the seven, hang on a minute, what she calls the seven essentials. So we have seven essentials areas where we usually want to change habits. And these are eating and drinking, sleeping, relationships, exercise, money, simplicity, and goals. And we're going to look into all of those areas. Some of the um, traditional bad habits that people have are, for example, smoking, which affects the, the health area, arguing, overeating, promiscuity, forgetting to, front, to lock the front door, uh, or not actually show up on time. I want to say before we start this, this re book review that I am not a person that likes habits generally. I get bored easily and um, as a mother, I probably drove my kids quite crazy because I don't do routines. But I have realized over time that these habits are good for me. So um, this book, which I read probably about 10 years ago, has really helped me to look into habits in a different way and to em embrace them because I know that they work. So she has a definition uh, or something that I found interesting at the start as well, where she says, a habit is something that you do regularly. A routine is a string of habits and a ritual is a habit that is charged with meaning, with maybe something that you do. She talks about the fact that we all respond to habits in different ways. Some people thrive on habits or really like them anyway. Some people hate them because it makes life dull and repetitive and boring. 
And some people maybe actually have a love-hate relationship with habits. And that's absolutely fine. As I said earlier, for me, I find habits boring. But um, I, I know the value of certain habits. And because of that, um, I was keen to understand how to establish and maintain habits so that I could um, make habits work for me instead of just dismissing them from the start. So she studied the habits for, um, for a long period of time. She became uh, obsessed with habits. And this has led her to create four types of people with regards to habits. Now, again, I'm a type of person who don't, doesn't like labels, who resists labels, etc., etc. But I'm also aware that in order for ourselves to um, improve, we need to have awareness of um, um, our make, makeover, I suppose. So the four categories are upholder, obliger, questioner, and rebel. And there is a quiz that you can do that I will share in the free group um, where you can define, determine. Actually, I've already shared it in the group, but um, I will maybe share the link to this post in the show notes so that you can go and do the test and then share with us uh, what your profile is and whether you were surprised by the results. I want you to do, before we go any further, I want you to pick one habit that you would like to change and write it down right now. And I'm going to think of one myself. Um, and then it would be really interesting if you could share it in the group. And then we'll see if we can support each other in the, the, the forming of that new habit. So let's go through the four different types of people. Upholders respond to both inner expectations and outer expectations. They want to avoid to let people down, but that includes themselves. They're usually self-driven. They have no problem meeting deadlines or expectations, and they often finish early. And that's actually me. I realized I was an upholder. I'm not actually <laughs> that sure what the word upholding means, um, but I'm going to check it out. Questioners question all expectations. That means that they will only meet an expectation if they believe that it's justified. So they're the kind of people who complained if they're in a queue, they're motivated by logic and fairness. They turn all expectations into inner expectations, but after um, they do their own research. So they research everything and there's a risk of um, falling into the pattern of analysis paralysis. Obligers respond to outer expectations. Uh, they struggle to self-motivate, they're people pleaser, they always put other people's needs first, so it's hard for them to say no. So there's a risk of burnout for obligers. If there's not a deadline, nothing is done. And they don't commit to the things that they want. The promises to themselves don't matter. It always drops at the bottom of the pile. And then the fourth categories are rebels who resist both inner and outer expectations. They need freedom and choice they always ask, what do I want to do today? They don't like schedules. They don't like constraints. Um, and their highest value is authenticity and self-determination. So there's a huge resistance to authority, but we need to say that it's really valuable for society. Right, so these tendency can help you understand how to best establish new habits. But you also need strategies. 
And before we get into the strategies, she also um, lists various um, opposition or opposites for people. It, and it's good for you to find out. So are you a lark or an owl? That means do you wake up very early or do you wake up late because you go to bed very late? This can inform your habits. Are you a marathoner, a sprinter or procrastinator? So does that means do you like to do things in the long run? Do you like to do things in short bursts of energy or do you procrastinate a lot? This is going to inform as well your habits and how you organize things to get things done. Are you an underbuyer or an overbuyer? Do you like simplicity or do you like abundance? Do you like to finish things or do you like to start things? Do you like something that is familiar or do you like novelty? And she mentions as well people who like to prevent things and people who like to promote things, as well as people who like to take small steps and people who like to do make big steps. And there's another thing that she hasn't mentioned in her book that I want to slide in here is that there's some people, and that's particularly with the case of goals, some people thrive on big, scary goals because it motivates them to, to go further and they're not afraid of failure. And there's people who actually, big goals scare them and are likely more to um, hinder them. And so for those people, it's best to have smaller goals that are uh, more easily attainable to build their confidence. So all this is very, very important. And you can go and um, on page 40, she has a list of questions to explore um, a little bit, you know, how you react and what your profile is. Then she goes on to um, discuss the pillars of habits. She lists 15 of them, and I've decided to focus only on the first six. But I would obviously uh, encourage you to go and purchase the book, whether in paper version or on audio, both exist. I listen to the audio on my run, which is really lovely because it motivates me. So the pillar of habits, one is monitor monitoring. And monitoring is super, super important because unless we monitor what we do, we're likely to not be realistic as to what we exactly do. You know, it's typical, for example, when you try to uh, eat less, that you will underestimate what you eat. And that's why keeping an eating journal can be very beneficial if you want to stop the habit of over overeating, right? Um, bad habits left unchecked usually are much worse than what we admit. So for all the seven essentials, whether it's eating, sleeping, relationship, you know, exercise, money, declutter, goals, um, monitoring things can really improve your performance and how much, you, how well you do. The second pillar is scheduling, and that has been crucial for me in my business. Um, I will talk to you about um, the habit of having a day that's structured ahead of time, especially if you work for yourself um, from home or you uh, are a solopreneur. It's so easy if you don't have a scheduled day to waste a lot of time on social media, for example. Now, what, um, what Gretchen says is, um, and there's been so many different theories about how long it takes to create a new habit. Um, she, um, she based her, her answer on a study by a University College of London that says it takes 66 days to establish a new habit on average, and it's only an average. So it takes a lot longer than we think. And I will say that if you face a crisis, 
it's interesting to see that you can revert to a former habit really, really quickly. So being aware of that um, so that we know the risks of falling out of the habits that we want to establish, uh, we can look out for, for the danger zone. Scheduling can help us do something we don't want to do. And I had, I had something in mind. There's a phone call that I have been procrastinating doing, and I'm going to schedule it in to make sure I do it. But it can also help us do the things that we want to do, um, because sometimes these things we procrastinate as well. The best example is to write a book for your business. You can always think, you know, I'm not ready yet. If you don't schedule it, it's never going to happen. And you're never going to be feeling completely ready to write a book anyway. It can also help to restrict how long we spent on something. Now, before I um, started being mindful of how much I eat and drink, um, I don't drink any alcohol, but I used to drink mochas almost every day. And for me, that, that came with um, a lot of chocolate in it. And um, so it's a lot of sugar and it, it impacts um, it's bound to impact my weight. So what I started to decide is that I was only going to have uh, the mocha that I love, which is a way for me to get away from everything and journal and spend some quiet time with myself once a week. And it was on Saturdays. So this has been my, in my mind, I know mochas are on Saturdays and that's all I do. That had a tremendous impact on my weight just by changing that one thing. So sometimes it's a small thing that we do, but we, we, because we put limits on it, it helps us to keep, um, it's almost like you have this mantra that you start saying that, you know, um, for example, I could say with regards to business, I do all my social media from 7.30 to 8. I give myself half an hour and I need to have posted in my group, on my page, on LinkedIn, and in one um, main big business group that I'm part of, right? So I can schedule that in my ideal day. And I encourage you to create your own ideal day. Uh, I might share in the group uh, my ideal day so you can, you can see what it looks like. It's changed a lot over time because um, I have, um, I used to work only Mondays. And since I separated from my husband, now I can work every day. But I have the constraints of, uh, dealing with my children, taking them to school. Um, one of them is homeschooled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, your ideal day might might vary according to your life changes, but it's important to have a structure. The third pillar is accountability, and I will say right away because I'm an upholder. Accountability has never really been um, needed in my life. But if you're not an upholder, and apparently upholders is quite a rare part of the population, as well as rebels. So the majority of people will sit either as obligers or questioners. You absolutely need accountability. Now, accountability doesn't mean that it's a person. It can be a deadline that you set for yourself. Now, be careful, because I know I tend to set deadlines that are far too ambitious, and then I trip over them, and then I use that to beat myself up and make myself feel bad about things. And that comes from being, um, you know, having imposter syndrome and having too high standards. I've learned to manage that now. I'm much more realistic in the deadlines that I set for myself. Be aware of your tendency. Do you tend to underestimate how much time um, something takes? That's, that's quite my case. Or, or the other way around. So um, accountability can be an app. 
It can be a coach. And I will say this here, and you've probably heard it a hundred times before, but it is the truth that if you hire a coach in your business, you're more likely to become successful than if you don't because of that accountability piece. Another way that you can do that is by going public about your intentions, and that works for some people. It doesn't really work for upholders because we have self-accountability. Now, if you decide to choose an accountability partner, you have to choose carefully and make sure that you are compatible because, first of all, you might want them to do certain things for you. And if, if you're a rebel, for example, and you have an accountability partner, if that partner calls you out on something you haven't do, you're more likely to say, now that you've asked me to do this, I'm not going to do it. You know, I used to be a bit like that when I was a, a teen. If I was going to do something, but if someone asked me to do something, then that was it. I wasn't going to do it anymore. So there's ways and you can, it, the more you know yourself, the more you can tell your accountability partner, how do you want them to help support you? What helps you? It's, it's important to be super clear with that. But also there's a risk that if your accountability drop, partner drops out, suppose you had a running partner and they decided not to run anymore or they keep on missing the appointments, then it's important to, um, to address this issue right away, maybe change partners or do something because otherwise your success depends on someone else. So you need to have a plan B. If you pay an accountability partner, such as a coach or a mentor or whatever, you're more likely to succeed again because they won't drop as, as easily out, okay? But it can also be an accountability group, like a writer's circles, a book club, etc., etc., or a subscription at the gym. What Gretchen says, which I wasn't aware of, is that all tendency benefit from accountability, but you need to factor in how, um, how you work. The fourth pillar is good timing. Right? She says, and I agree with her, that the first step is crucial. She doesn't say, but I want to slide in here, that preparation is super important. For example, I help a lot of my clients to start writing their business books. And before they start, I have seven golden steps that I take them through so that they are prepared properly. And the reason I do that is because if you drop out of a habit it's often much harder to get back on, on track than it is at the start of this new habit. And that is because there is this beginner's excitement about starting something new that you don't have the second time around. Plus, if you drop out, you're going to start creating some unhelpful beliefs or maybe a feeling of failure around the fact that you dropped out. And so the second time is going to be much harder to start. She says, which made me laugh, that now is always an unpopular time to start and to take the first step. But this is where you need to decide or establish whether you are better at small steps or big steps. Again, we'll go back to the book writing thing. Um, for some people, it's easier to do half an hour every day, whereas some people, they just book a retreat for a week. They go away, write their book, come back. And there's no right or wrong. It's whatever works for you. I think that's probably the underlying principle in the entire book, how important it is for you to do what works for you. And you'll only find out what works for you through trial and error, okay? But you can look back on your life and, and decide or examine from what I'm sharing here in this um, podcast, but also by reading the book, what has worked for you in the past? And just try to model that whenever you want to try a new habit or start a new habit. 
She also says that timing means managing transitions. So you sometimes a ritual can help. Uh, for example, when I start my working day, I usually start by playing a dance song, which is why in our free group, the uh, Intuitive Revolution for Brilliant Entrepreneurs, I share songs almost every day, dance songs, um, because it raises my vibration, it makes me feel good, and it's kind of like, okay, now let's, let's, let's start working. But it could be that you change clothes or that you move to another room, whatever it is, okay? She explains, and I, I have experienced that myself, and probably you have too, that ha some habits remain fragile, which means that even after years, if something happens to interrupt the habit, then it's going to be um, difficult to get back on, 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 um, on track. And I would say probably eating and exercise are they, these kind of habits that can remain fragile. And that's the reason why you want to make sure that you don't break the chain. Um, I was tempted actually last week to not go running on one day because I, I had a really bad, bad night's sleep and I usually uh, run at seven o'clock in the morning and I decided to go anyway. And I'm so glad I did because I knew that it could have been, um, you know, the little thing that breaks the chain that then I would have used more of these excuses not to go running. And if you have to take a break, suppose you're going on holiday or something is happening and if it was, for example, your writing uh, schedule uh, that you can continue, then what you need to do is to schedule your day you will start again when you come back or whenever that interruption has happened. The fifth pillar is a clean slate. And she talks about New Year resolutions, but it can be that you're getting married or that you're getting divorced or that you move houses or that you rearrange your furniture, whatever it is. Um, this can set a really nice tone to a new habit that you want to start. But what's really important is to also um, have a careful intention because what we assume to be temporary can become permanent. And I'm going to give you an example from what happened in my life. In March 2019, I had a car accident and I was in excruciating pain for six months. The painkillers that the doctors gave me had such horrendous side effects that I couldn't take them. And the regular painkillers such as paracetamol and ibuprofen didn't touch the pain. And I found out through trial and error that actually dark chocolate helped with the pain, helped me cope with the pain. So I started the habit of eating dark chocolate every day. Uh, what I didn't anticipate that is that it would become a habit because of course for six months I had to do this until my body started to repair itself and the pain started to lower. It actually took a full year before I was almost pain-free. And by then that habit was ingrained so solidly that I couldn't stop it. So being, um, being and, and I don't regret it. I don't regret it, but I saw what happened and then it was much harder to break the habit. Um, so be very intentional when you start a new habit, even if it's a habit that you start without really realizing that it's a habit you're building. The sixth pillar is what she calls the lightning bolt. And I found it interesting. It's like this aha moment. And that's the only one that you can't actually decide to make happen. It's something that happens to you, right? So I'm going to give you an example. I used to smoke and people are quite surprised when I say that to them. Uh, but back in France, um, all, my, all my parents, all my peers, um, my relatives, the only person that didn't smoke in my entire environment was my father. So starting smoking when I was a teen was actually uh, almost 
I'm not going to say expected because my mother, even though she smoked, didn't want us to smoke, but she didn't know that the best way to inspire your children not to smoke is not to smoke <laughs> rather than tell them that it was bad. Uh, but one day I decided I wanted to quit smoking before I had children. And I found this book that I was, um, that was called Easy Way to, to Stop Smoking by Alan Carr. So I started reading the book and actually halfway through the book, I quit smoking. I had this aha moment. And it's only when I trained in clinical hypnotherapy decades later that I realized that this book is actually based on hypnotherapy and on repeating the same ideas all the time until you're conditioned to think in a different way. Now hear this, because this is really funny. My first husband was a smoker as well. And when I, was, I quit smoking with the book, he had no intent to quit smoking at all. He didn't want to, and he actually continued smoking way after I left him until my kids tried to convince him to switch to swap to vaping, which he does now. But anyway, he, I had this book in my hands, so it kind of piqued his curiosity, and he started reading it after I had quit smoking. And halfway through the book, he actually quit smoking without realizing that he had because the book convinced him or subconsciously made it off. Oh. So the book made him quit, which I find really fascinating. I had another aha moment as well um, when I started running in 2009. It's almost like overnight, I, I was against running, um, hated running with my guts, would not even run to catch a plane or a bus. And then I woke up the next day wanting to run um, with no particular reason. Now I know what happened is because I asked help from my guides and they, um, because I felt really bad within myself and I wanted to lose weight. And so they, they planted this idea in my head. I can only explain it that way because it went against all my beliefs and, and what I wanted. I didn't want to run and then I woke up wanting to run. That was one of those lightning bolts aha uh -huh moment or big change moment. I don't know what you want to call it. It doesn't have to be something big though. Um, and one of the aha moments I had uh, when I, in, it was in November, I can't remember, well, it must have been November 2018 um, when I, I wanted to go back into my healthy eating and exercise program. And at the time, I was having a mocha every day. And then I decided I was going to have green smoothies five days a week. And then on the weekend, I would have my mocha on a Saturday, which I already mentioned. So what I didn't realize, though, is by deciding to have a green smoothie um, Monday to Friday for breakfast, that prevented me from having a mocha that day because there was already so much, um, so many liquids that I couldn't cope with drinking one other thing. And so it, that habit replaced my mocha habit. That was an aha moment for me, that it's much easier to replace one habit with another than to just quit a habit. So I'm offering that, that um, aha moment to you if you want to try it on for yourself. Um, I will also say, because of course this is the Intuitive Revolution podcast, that I want you to use your intuition to guide you. And I'm going to give you a little example of what happened um, the year my dad died. I often, when I pack my bags, I find myself picking things up with my hands that don't make sense. And that's how my intuition works. So um, when I, the day after my dad died, 
I flew over to France to um, spend the weekend with my family before the funeral. I couldn't attend the funeral for personal reasons, but I wanted to be there the weekend before. And my hands picked up a DVD set of, of French comedians, and I was like, why am I taking this with me? But what happened is that once I got there, I got some really clear signs that I needed to play those DVDs uh, at, for my, my family on the first, before the first meal that we had to cheer them up. Now, I know that doesn't seem to have any, you know, linked with habits, but this is actually something that really helped the whole family cope with what was coming forth um, the day after and the following day. Because the day after, my mom had to go to the morgue, and then, and then the, the funeral happened on Monday, which was probably very, very challenging for her. Um, so use your intuition as well. Your intuition might suggest something that sounds a little bit unusual for you to follow through in order for you to, to create a new habit, but um, it knows better how to take you from A to B than your logical mind would. And sometimes some things that don't make sense are more powerful um, in practice than things that are driven by our logic and in a way our ego. Our intuition knows best how to make things happen. So she lists another um, seven or eight um, pillars to form habits and I'm gonna list them quickly, uh, but I'm not gonna go into the detail because I want to keep this, um, this episode fairly short. But of course, I invite you to go and listen to the book and come and share if it has been helpful for you. So the list goes with abstaining. So, you know, there are people who can moderate their habits. Um, and let's say, for example, for smoking, the people who can smoke whenever they go to parties and not in between. And there's people who, if they smoke, they have to smoke a pack a day. They can't res resist going all the way. So it's important to understand that. And then if you're that kind of person, then abstaining is super important. It's, it's a better strategy than trying to moderate. She talks about convenience. Of course, if something is convenient, then it's more likely to happen. So if you have a bad habit that's convenient to do, then you need to change something. Sometimes it's to put the crackers away uh, in a cupboard, maybe on the top shelf. So it's very inconvenient for you to reach for them. She talks about inconveniences, which, which is what I just discussed safeguards, loophole spotting. I think it's important to see that if we start making an exception, then it's, it's almost like opening the door for our ego uh, that wants to interrupt all these good work um, for reasons that is um, sometimes don't seem logical because our subconscious um, does not um, follow logic most of the time. Um, distraction is another pillar, reward, treats, and pairing. Now, pairing is really important. I want to talk about it very briefly before I finish this episode. It is much easier to attach a habit to an existing habit. So if you want to start a new habit, look at throughout the day uh, the existing habits that you have and see if you can pair it together. So, for example, if you were starting to write a book, you could try and pair it um, before or after breakfast, before or after your shower, before or after you brush your teeth, or you can try and pair it before your lunch or after your lunch, or um, before your dinner, after your dinner. These are the times that is going to be the most effective because they're paired with another habit. And then your mind will associate the old habit with the new habit. And there you go. Right. I hope you found this uh, episode entertaining and also, um, above all, useful. I would love to, for you to come and discuss this episode in our free community the intuitive revolution in business 
Um, and I will see you again next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Intuition Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you haven't done it yet, write a review so that more listeners can enjoy this podcast. Don't forget to join my free group on Facebook, Business Intuition for Female Entrepreneurs. And go on to my website to download my free workbook on the four steps to trust your intuition in business. My website is theintuitionrevolution.co.uk.